0: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we're taking a bit of a step back. We're zooming out and talking about some overarching Catholic themes that, when applied to the Mass or our understanding thereof, will allow us to have a more full and active participation in the liturgy itself. Also, I want to remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference that's coming up in June. That's June 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's a study weekend, and you're going to get classes from... Dennis, you're going to get classes from Chris. Uh, We're we're going to bring in Dr. Michael Foley to give a lecture about drinking with the saints. It's going to be a jam-packed weekend, and you're going to really learn a lot and have a lot of fun with us as well. If you want to register, you go to www.btransfigured.com. Early bird pricing ends in about a month, so you want to register soon if you are going to attend. And without further ado, episode 25 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. Oh, hey. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> but you Chris, know, who's, Chris, are you here?
2: Oh, yeah. Who uh, is actually here, too? In uh, person? Kevin. Kevin. Who Kevin. Is like, Kevin is like Wilson from, what was that TV show? Uh, Home Improvement. Home Improvement. He was always he on the other side of the face. You only ever see half of his and face. And never saw him. But mm-hmm. Kevin is
0: actually here. Mm-hmm. He's looking right at us. Kevin, say something.
2: I'm here. Hey! hey. hey. He has the glasses of the new evangelization some, on.
0: Some of you guys got to meet Kevin at uh, SLS this year, and they were like, are you the Kevin? Like the <laughs> podcast Kevin? And he's like, yep. We need to get
2: t-shirts or mugs made with Kevin's uh, face <laughs> on it. But you know what I found? I found his yearbook picture from junior year in high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's on classmates.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to make a mug with his mug. 16-year-old mug <laughs> on it. Yes. Mug with his mug. See, but yeah. like
1: Wilson, it could be like glass half full. You mm-hmm. could just oh, be like yeah. the top
2: half. You know, they, that... make, they make uh,
0: coffee cups where when the, when the cup is hot, it reveals an image on it. All
2: right. You know what I want to talk about today? Christmas dinner. Uh, what? Well, I have um, great cousins. I, I'm sure they're great. One of whom is a great lady. She's uh, a little younger than I am, and she's a tax lawyer, and she has degrees in international studies, and she's smart and she's an accomplished person. Grew up kind of Catholic and sort of fell away. Well, grew up actually quite Catholic, kind of fell away for various reasons. I don't know what, but we just. Does she listen to this podcast? Uh, probably not. Well, sometimes I send her ones every now and again. So we we kind of have this very delicate, like, loving relationship where. She'd like to have the gift of faith or she doesn't and she I don't know what her particular issues are, but I just sort of talked with her a little bit and you know she was asking questions that I've heard a lot of people say Is people get caught up on all these questions about faith like well I can never be Catholic because of abortion or I can never be Catholic because of this rights for this group or because so, of the new translation or the new yeah there's too many repetitions in the, in the new missile. And, you know, we're kind of forgetting the big picture. It's like, oh, I could never have you as my father because I don't like the shoes you wear. Well, how about the parenting skills, the fact that he gave life to you, the fact that he (laughs) feeds you, loves you, puts you through college. So what I wanted to do is like maybe, I don't know, have a podcast that you could send to anybody who's wondering, like, why should I do this Catholic liturgy thing? Mm-hmm. We're Hyper traditional. I mean, we're hyper technical sometimes with our words, but what's the big picture? What's the big picture? So, all right, mm, paint wow. that
0: picture. Let's right. do it.
2: And I, yeah, well, I didn't know what this podcast was going to be.
1: Where would this you is be
0: great. start this?
1: Uh, well, what's reformulate the question? The place if you were going to say the
2: biggest the, picture, the biggest bird's eye view of the picture of why liturgy matters. Where would you start? Salvation history. Well, the history uh, even yeah. before the history. Mm-hmm. History is motivated by something. Trinity? God. You start with the Trinity? Well, is yeah, the Trinity. And the, what's the nature of the Trinity? Love? Dialogue? I, love. Okay, okay. boom. Okay. Right, there it is. Right. And so is it like the God of the Father is over there, and then 10 billion miles away is the Son, and then 10 billion miles away is the, not the Sun, S-U-N, but S-O-N, is the Holy Spirit. And so there are people who love each other, but they're not near each other? Uh, no, no. They're no. omnipresent. Well, they're omnipresent, but they're also like, totally interpenetrated. I mean, the son mm-hmm. is the father. The father is the son. The Holy spirit is the uh, father and the son. So these three persons, that well, tr- sorry.
1: <laughs> what's that? Uh, they're, but they're not. Right? Yeah. They're, they have
2: their individual identity. Right. And yet they're three in one at the same time. They're right. all God, but they're not each other. And at the same time, they're all one with each Wait, other. You, you think
0: that getting somebody on board, the thing we need to do is explain the Trinity. All right. We'll see if it works.
1: Well, it might. I mean, I mean, on the one hand, there's this, uh, Thomistic principle of, uh, you know, we're starting to use the technical things again, right? You start with that, which is more familiar to you. And you move away to things that, that aren't. So once you understand the Trinity, then you can understand everything else. Right. God loves
2: us. God is love by definition. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Okay. Jesse is skeptical, but we'll see. God is not just the biggest bully on the block who loves, right? He by definition is love itself. Loveness is what God is. Mm-hmm. And when you say, what does someone who loves want to do? They want to be a lover. They want to love and the way you love is not by standing a million miles away. The way you love is not by throwing lightning bolts and frying people and keeping them afraid of you. The way threatening, you, threatening them to love you back. Right. The way you, I only do this cause I love you. Right. But so the way that you love somebody <laughs> is you show up and you are present to them And not far away, right? You you have to come close. And the question is, how could God come close to us? I mean, His magnificence is so great. In the Old Testament, God's kind of scary, precisely because He's not that close. I mean, He's close, but He shows up as lightning and thunder, and that's kind of far away. But who does He come as to be someone who can be Mm -hmm. closer? In fact,
1: isn't there a line that, that no one sees? My no one can see the face of God and live. Am I making that up? No, you're When right. Moses wanted to see him, I mean he had to uh God's vale kind of path had to, Yeah, so there, there was a real distance. And when he was talking to Moses on Mount Horeb, all the people were scared and they moved away and moved away and said, Oh, we don't want to we don't want to see his face, we don't want to hear his voice, we wanna keep this uh uh
2: happy distance between the two of us right so the history of salvation as you mentioned jesse is actually a history of god becoming closer to us closer 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 so first he's far away he is then he's a lawgiver then he's a pillar of cloud then he's a lightning and thunder then he comes as a person and it's like whoa you're like me and what's next well right and then you know god wants to unite us to himself to graft us onto the vine of himself to fill us with his own divine life i mean if you think about human interaction you know, you, you see a stranger on the street, you're kind of far away. Intellectually, you're a bit, you know, far away. You put up your guard, you don't know if they're going to kill you or not. But well, then you work with somebody, you become friends, what comes? What happens? The guards come down, you get closer to them. You might sit next to them in the movie theater if, if they're open seats, where you might not sit next to a stranger. And um, then you have family, and you hug them and kiss them, and then you have a wife and a spouse. And so they're literally united in, in a way that, that you don't do with regular people on the street. So where does this come from? God, who is kind of interpenetrated the persons of the Trinity, wants to be one uh, with us. And so if you're going to let somebody in your inner circle, so to speak, you have to trust them, right? And if you mm-hmm. don't trust God, then you're going to say, hey, get away from me, stay away from me. I don't want anything. So, Where, does, where do you think a lack of trust in God would come from? Mm. Historically, personally, oh, uh, sin, bad, bad things. Bad things happen to good people. Well, right. So the sin, sin is the first thing, right? Yeah. Adam and Eve don't trust God, and they choose the apple instead, and then our relationship with God is wounded. But then you the, look around the world and you say, "Well, if God's so good, how come wars happen? How come babies get cancer? How's all that stuff?" So it does seem, in some ways, that God is not trustworthy. But if you're coming out of the Calvinist Puritanical tradition, and you're a you know, a sinner in the hands of an angry God, or you're a spider being dangled over a candle, and this is God. Well, who wants that, really, right? And then we have this Jansenist heresy that still hangs around in Catholicism. And Kevin probably remembers some of that from his days in the in the '50s, <laughs> okay. where God was just waiting. Uh, well, but he was alive. You were alive in the '50s, right, Kevin? Yeah, he was. God is this like untrustworthy persnickety, capricious, angry being who's bigger than you, and he's waiting to fry you at the least sin. That is still, I think, in the mindset of the whole Catholic guilt thing that people talk about. Oh, I have Catholic guilt. Well, Catholic guilt, in a sense, is sort of Jansenist in a lot of time. I mean, there's real guilt if you do something wrong, but to live in fear of God, if, if your kids were so afraid of you that every time they did anything wrong, they wanted to go die and hide in the closet. You'd be like, come on, you know, I want to teach you to do the right thing, but you don't have to be afraid of me. And so if you don't trust God because you fundamentally fear God, then you're not going to let God near you and you're going to push God away. And so this is a really fundamental thing. So, you know, I like to encourage people to think like, why don't I trust God? Why do I see God as a threat? Why do I see the church as a threat to me? Now you can have all the theological disagreements you want about transubstantiation or, Whatever, gay rights or whatever, it's not the same thing as fundamentally do I trust uh, God? Who's hurt me so that I find that I don't trust people and therefore I don't trust God? That's a really big thing. Now, the question is why didn't God just make us all not capable of hurting each other? You know, you look around the world and there's rape and murder and nuclear war and impoverish, impoverishment. Why didn't God just say, hey, you do what I tell you i 'm going to control you with my divine because software. there's
0: no, there's no greater love than the choice to love,
2: right so love choosing to love somebody has to be done in freedom right? mm-hmm. Tell so, your sister you're sorry <laughs> yeah' sorry so you <laughs> go hug Chris <laughs> yeah it doesn't work yeah. that way <laughs> so you have to be able to love in freedom, and so God can't just show up and say i'm here to." love you against your will. You know, if God showed up in your bedroom as lightning and thunder and said, guess what? I'm here and I'm going to take over all of you. You'd be like, no, I don't want that. I haven't asked for this. Everything about God in some ways has to be subtle. It's obvious in a way, but it has to be subtle. You can't violate our freedom. So you could say, well, food, you know, if someone force fed you, even if it was good food, you'd say, why are you violently entering my personal space and my body god can't show up and force himself on you so he has to show up in a way that's proper to us first of all in the eucharist and second of all it has to be received uh, freely and so that if like divine life what other way can it happen other i mean he chose right, so that this way is where the liturgy is coming in well yeah how is he going to get in us so to speak how is he going to share himself with us without doing some kind of cosmic you know a violation of our, of our will, of our hearts, of our, our bodies. And so he has to fill us with this desire for transformation. So when you feel yourself as a sinner, we, we tend to go to the I am a bad person. Why do I have these sins? Why do I go to confession and say the same thing every time? Why, why my spiritual director has no answers for me? But that is actually a good sign. It's like your stomach being empty and saying, I'm hungry, I need food. Mm-hmm. And so then you freely choose to eat food and hopefully you eat healthy food. That's not a violation of your body. It's exactly what your uh, body needs. So divine life comes to us, freely chosen in ways that are proper uh, to us. And so re- divine life and you know, our desire to restore the world, we should be mad about war. We should be mad about poverty. We should be mad about uh, the things that are out there. But a political protest, not gonna solve the problem. I think one of the things, too, that people would would say is
0: this idea of grace or uh, uh, you'll often hear somebody say, instead of saying, I'll pray for you, I'll I'll send you good vibes or or good vibes your way. We're thinking about you. right, Right. And so I think sometimes people think that that would be enough for God to just exist in and around us. And then we would just absorb those graces. Uh, and and that would be enough because it's God, and, and that's my personal relationship. And so I wouldn't necessarily need to consume God or to have him, you know, to, to consume the Eucharist and have God be a part of my being.
2: Right. Well, God enters into your body and you become God through the Eucharist, right? And it's a way that's proper to us. We don't have to nail ourselves to a cross. We don't have to go carry a cross. We don't have to do the actual suffering that Christ did. We can participate in that life, death, and resurrection through the liturgy and and, the, and join the sufferings of our life to that reality. And so he, God could have done whatever he wanted, right? He's God. But he chose to prepare the Jews with the meaning of wine and oil and bread and water and lightning and thunder, priests and prophets and kings and victims. And so that the time when Christ came, people would say, oh, I get it. That life, that you know, that bread that we ate before and died, now we have the bread mm-hmm. that brings eternal life. He says, I'm, I'm the bread of life. That's not just some little mm-hmm. phrase, that's a thousands of years old idea that's pregnant with with meaning. God <laughs> is smart. <laughs> <laughs> He's a church.
1: So the meaning is to uh, to come together with God and be transformed to become like him. That's the end
2: goal and the liturgy
1: is the means to do that?
2: Exactly. So, you know, false yeah. gods can promise you stuff. I have a priest friend who thinks that the ancient gods of ancient Greece were actual were gods, right? They actually did provide stuff, except that they were demons, but <laughs> pretending to be gods. So you you pray to Zeus and suddenly your enemy dies. Whoa, these guys must be real. So there's some real something there, but people want divine life. They want divine energy. They know they're not enough. They want crystals. They want new age, whatever, because there's a feeling that they need completion. None of those things will do it. The answer is always a divine life, and the proper place to get that—the ordinary place—is in the liturgy of the church. It's the only thing that can do what you want done and what God wants done. What I'm
1: kind of reminded of—have you ever heard this? Uh, I don't know this observation that old married couples start to look like them, like each other,
2: and their dogs. <laughs> I've heard the pets thing, but yeah, yeah, I know I've heard the married couples. Did you ever see
1: that movie? I think it's called When Harry Met Sally Mm -hmm. and they have these interviews with these uh, older couples who are, I mean, that's a good example of it, but I don't know, maybe you've heard this, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And all of this time, you know, that a couple is living together, they really start to reflect one another and be like one another, almost even in appearance. And I think there's maybe something similar here with the kind of the the love story between Mm -hmm. uh, the individual soul and God, you know, living with God and receiving his graces, what does it do to you? Is it starts to make you look like your spouse who, who is Jesus. Right. And again, I th- this is in one of, le- one of the third letter of uh, Peter, John, I can't remember. <laughs> remember about in heaven, we will be like him because we shall see, see him, him as, as he, he is. is. And the place to go see Jesus where he is and, and to adjust his life and what will transform you into being like him is the, the liturgy is the most privileged place to do that.
0: So are you saying that Kim will get taller, my wife, and then I will also start to get look Get better looking. I will look more Filipino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There I are, see it happening there are limits. already. <laughs> if yeah. you say so. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's
1: a
2: bad example. But, but you know, you see when, what's out there when people don't have a true faith to go to. They start idolizing political figures, or they idolize political agendas, or they start, you know, looking at crystals or whatever earthly powers, witchcraft, Satanism. Like everybody wants something more than they have. And so, but only God's divine life can really solve those problems. And so the question is, all right, well, you know, I I hear people say, well, priests are not that smart and they molest people and they run off with the secretary and they get put in jail for stealing the collection and churches are ugly and everything seems unjust. How can I believe this earthly church system to be the place that's distributing this divine life to me? What would you say, Chris or Jesse?
0: I would say that that, uh, that's not actually a, any human that is participating in that and that it's the body of Christ which is perfect
2: Right, the body of Christ is perfect even though the members are not right? right it's the whole earthen vessels thing for whatever reason and you know you might do this with your own kids now I'm gonna give you this priceless Ming vase will you carry it over there and put it on the table now you might know your four-year-old might drop it but you want them to do it. You want them to have the chance to show, I can do this. And so, yeah, human beings are flawed, right? And for whatever reason, God has chosen to trust us <laughs> with this. And so just because the church is flawed, it doesn't mean that the action of Christ is not real. Uh, so it's marred by all sources of dysfunction. Um, but the, the, the message is still kind of simple, right? There's a plan. Receive the life of God so that that plan of God can be lived. So first you hear the the, uh, liturgy of the word, right? What's the plan? I don't know. Well, you've just heard it in scripture. Now that you've heard the plan, go do the plan. So Christ came. He wants to fill you with divine life. He chose to do it by giving you bread and wine transformed into his own body and blood. All right now you know all right there it is five minutes later you get to actually do that so that's the whole relationship between scripture and liturgy that way and so the Bible only people they they hear the plan but they don't get to do the plan Mm -hmm. and so God says hey this is how you do it. How can, I can't show up in your bedroom and scream scripture at you every day. It'll just it'll freak you out. You won't sleep. You know how can you take care of your kids if you're getting mystical visions oh, I every night? Stop doing that to my kids, then. <laughs> is that what you do? in oh, yeah. your kids room and scream scripture mm-hmm. at them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ordinary, isn't it? You know, people are like, oh, transstantiation, Oh, it's such a miracle. Well, yeah, it is. But on the other hand, God's using stuff that we understand to give Himself to us. Super easy, right? He wouldn't pick something we don't understand. Um, and so the inner workings of transubstantiation, very interesting, but it's at once the most amazing miracle ever and the most obvious thing in the world. You give your kids food that's good for them, not food that's bad for them. God gives us food that's good for us at the spiritual level. So it's really, really simple and really profound at the same time. So I was just reading someone's doctoral dissertation and it was on merit. It's one of our LA students. It's a very, very good thing, but he was talking about how do you merit um, grace and you know what, what does merit mean and people don't like the idea that you earn your salvation and rightly so but one of the theories present, presented was that one of the graces God gives you when you ask is the freedom to choose divine life so you merit the gift of the freedom to say yes and um, so that's one of the ways to look at it you know if anybody's out there saying you know I used to go to church and I don't anymore and I got all these issues with this or that or the other thing or some priest was mean to me you know father father kyle Mano, who was on our uh, podcast at the end of the first season said he was with the bishop at um some anniversary and maybe i told the story already but he the bishop put his hand on the face of some woman who came up like he just touched her cheek very gently with a blessing and she started bursting out in tears and he was like oh my gosh what have i done and it turns out that this woman, when she was a girl, you know, you would go to confirmation and they would slap you. Do you remember this, Kevin? Did, they, did you get slapped? Those for, were the days. Those were the days, he said. Oh, man. But <laughs> well, it was supposed to be a, like a touch of gentle something, but then eventually it became like, wake up, you know, the Holy Spirit's here, mm-hmm. whap. But apparently nobody told her this was going to happen and in the prep class or whatever, Catholic school. So she goes up there, all these high thoughts about receiving the grace of the Holy Spirit and everything that people say about confirmation. Then she got a smack in the face and she was so shocked and so hurt like she was carrying this around bishops bishops are bad and they hurt me and so when this priest this bishop did this 50 years later and touched her she just started crying finally that that wound uh, was healed finally she had the freedom to say hey i've dealt with that and i can say yes to god now so you know to ask um instead of just asking right away like hey make me a zealous kind of crazy evangelical convert no 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 just i asked for the gift of Freedom to choose divine life properly and fully. How do you do that? You know, how do I do that? God, it, from the, the parable of the prodigal son, gets off his throne. You know, the father gets off his throne and runs to meet the son who's been away. So, uh, you know, if you say, God, I want the freedom to choose you and choose divine life. Help me to do it. You know, God will get off his throne and, and kill, a, kill a fatted calf for us, right? Which is mm-hmm. the which is Christ, who's the most perfect fatted calf, so to speak. is the perfect sacrifice, perfect. The fattiest fatted. calf. <laughs> He's fatty fat. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the big picture, right? We have a God who's a father primarily, who's creator of all things, but father is his identity, as Christ told us, and our father. And he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be with him. He wants to be one with us. He doesn't violate us. doesn't force us to be one with him. He makes us, he lays, lays us a table that's what we understand. It gives us divine life and brings it back. And then within that category, every other liturgical thing from maniples to thuribles to incense to uh, hmm. picky pack of fees or whatever you were talking about what? last night, last week. Oh uh, uh, man, anadiploses. Anadiploses, all that stuff. That's all within the big the circus tent of um, God's plan for us. That For me, that's the way you talk about God, not as the angry God, not as the uh, micromanaging God of theological terms, as good as, you know, knowing theological terms are. Start there. That's the big picture. So that's what I have to say about that. All right. And now you are Catholic. Boom. (laughs) Ask for the freedom to receive divine life fully the way God wants you to receive it and see if he shows up. Excellent. Chris? Good job, Dennis. Thanks,
0: Chris. <laughs> do, Chris, do you choose to love Dennis? It's very hard.
2: <laughs> you need grace. Give me the to grace to love Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> why does everybody say that to me all the time?
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, should we uh, answer a question yes. now?
2: Yes. Absolutely.
0: All right. What do you think, Kevin?
2: Absolutely. All right. God, give us the grace to answer this question, please. So, why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to
1: serve the Church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the Church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the Magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living
2: tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Jesse! Yes. hmm. Do you have a question for us? Nope. Do you have somebody else's question for us? Yes. Yes. Who's it from? from? This
0: is from Savannah. Savannah, awesome. Yeah, Savannah says, what is the proper response to liturgical abuse in the moment? For example, if a priest takes a newly baptized baby and announces that his first act as a Christian will be to give our final blessing and then uses it, uh, the the baby, to bless us moving it in a cross formation, should we continue our normal responses or not participate? And... If liturgical abuse happens earlier in the mass should we stay if we shouldn't how does that affect our Sunday obligation especially if it's the last mass offered in the area uh, well
2: let's just say this for yeah. Savannah sure we feel your pain as Bill Clinton used to say I feel your pain did he used to say that oh also he was, he was president the... before you were born just side note that pain. was a spot on Bill Clinton oh well what can I tell you anyway Liturgical abuses, especially egregious ones, are very hard to deal with. I I think I've told you, Jesse, I have nightmares sometimes. When Mm -hmm. I was in graduate school, the Newman Center liturgy was so terrible. I used to have dreams where I'd stand up in the middle of Mass and yell at the priest. And I have those still, nightmares occasionally, even though I haven't been there 20 years. So these things cut to the heart, and the question is, what do you do, Chris? Mm -hmm. I would say the first Mm -hmm. thing is you don't make a scene, you don't storm off, you don't huff and puff and leave. Unless it's so blasphemous that, you know, it'd be a scandal for you to be there. And then what do you do with any liturgical abuse, Chris? Well, first of all, I guess this, the baby was blessing me.
1: I, I wouldn't think, make the sign yeah. of the cross or respond. I, I wouldn't participate in that. I agree with Dennis that in, I don't know if there is a certain right answer. I would, I would
2: stay there, but I wouldn't engage in the... You can kind of put your, your head down and say a quick... Hail Mary for, for the priest or something. Priest and the baby. Yeah, <laughs> but the but normal response to any is, liturgical abuse is, is talk
1: to the. the
2: charity and justice, you go talk to the to the
1: pastor or whomever is uh, yeah,
2: the, the responsible that for person. It, right? Yeah, go talk to them. That priest. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get much help, you talk to the pastor. You don't get much help, you call Chris Carson's in the office of worship. Yeah, if well, you're in the diocese of La Crosse, yeah. where this would never happen,
1: well, yeah, Well, we. <laughs> No, well, I, I don't think it would actually in the yeah. diocese. But uh, Chris no, gives no, the smackdown in his diocese. No, I don't. I don't. But there's a there's a system set up uh, in, in La Crosse. It's called a pastoral recourse or administrative recourse. So if if you don't uh, get a satisfactory resolution from the pastor, then you go to the uh, to the dean or what do we call him the the vicar. There's another canonical term for it. So parishes are arranged according to a vicariate or a mm-hmm. deanery, and in uh, La Crosse, at least, you go to the dean. And if that person, pastor, has to, happens to be the dean, then you go to the bishop or one of his people. But, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a matter of justice. The, the laity have uh, the, the right to receive the, the liturgy of the church uh, according to her own mind. And pastors and ministers have the uh, obligation to celebrate it uh, as a matter of justice uh, for the people. So, yeah, but the best thing to do is to go talk to that person.
2: But her question at the end there is, what about Sunday obligations? So if you're so upset because of liturgical abuse that you leave, have you fulfilled your Sunday obligation? I think you have to fulfill your Sunday obligation. You have to stay, right? You can't just walk out at the gospel and say, i fulfilled my Sunday obligation. Yeah, I think you have to stay. All right. Hopefully God understands if there's extenuating circumstances, but in the you know in the true in the true sort of intellectual rigor sense, Sunday obligation is Sunday obligation, even if there are liturgical abuses. All
0: right, Savannah, I hope that answered your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at com. Thank you and God bless.
2: The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.